the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, March 27th, 2023. It feels like the year's already over. Oh, my gosh. And it just also feels like it started yesterday at the same time. I can't believe we're heading into the second quarter already, aren't we? 02508 is the number. Your barrier to entry, as we like to say. You want to join us or add anything to the conversation, feel free. Been monitoring <clears throat> this terrible story out of Nashville, of course, with the uh, school shooting uh, all day today. And um, it's going to have a lot of cross currents, uh, this story. This isn't going to be your usual. Uh, and isn't that a weird uh, locution when it comes to a mass shooting in the first place to say your usual? This one is going to bring with it a whole new series of elements. Um, we. Uh, we were uh, stunned initially to find out that the shooter was a female because you don't see very many mass shootings. I think since we've been tracking them, there have only been a handful that had female assailants or alleged assailants. And now we're going to add the issue of transgender to this as well. And, uh, well, we'll we'll talk about it um, as as we go further. It'll be interesting to see not only how the media plays it, uh, I see the first thing that uh, Joe Biden talked about when he was uh, in front of the podium today was about his affinity for chocolate chip ice cream. And then from there, we went to assault rifle bans. Uh, I, I don't know if you consider one of these weapons an assault rifle or not, but um, it was not the only weapon used uh, today by the alleged assailant. Uh, and I think... Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if this situation is going to get us closer to dealing with the trigger in the head or farther. Um, but that's the trigger that needs to be dealt with, I believe. Though It's the harder of the triggers to deal with. Um, but I will also say that I find it hard to take anything Karin Jean-Pierre says about weapons bans. Uh, they had the White House. They had the Senate. They had the House of Representatives for two years they didn't pass it then. I don't know what they expect to do now, nor do I expect it would make any difference whatsoever, as our example with the 1994 law proved. The Wall Street Journal, along with the University of Chicago, brings us a new survey of the American people and their beliefs and attitudes this morning, and it's not good. I often lament we seem to be becoming the kind of country we used to send missionaries to, and that slide seems to be slickening at a fairly rapid rate, a rate I hope we can catch up with. Indeed, unless our decline and social pathologies are arrested and turned around rather quickly, I feel we may be gazing off into those sunset years Ronald Reagan used to warn about. From the Wall Street Journal stories opening this morning, quote, patriotism, religious faith, having children, and other priorities that helped define the national character for generations are receding in importance to Americans, close quote. Try a few of these indicators on for size. Some 38% of respondents said patriotism was very important to them, and 39% said religion was very important. 
That was down sharply from when the question was first asked in 1998 when 70% deemed patriotism to be very important and 62% said so of religion. In other words, we've seen a more than 30% decline to now of minority of Americans believing patriotism is very important. That's more than just flag-waving. It is a divorce, a separation, a separation and divorce from or an attachment to this country. As for religion, nearly a 25% decline. We're speaking of two of our greatest forces of composition, faith and country, having turned from majoritarian sentiments to minority sentiments, or viewed another way, forces such as faith and country are now seen as either down market commodities or even forces of decomposition here. It's hard to conclude otherwise. When the lower the age, the lower the importance of these forces, by the way. There is one thing that has grown in importance or value to Americans, according to the poll, money. So we are now at this odd moment, Ted Koppel, of all people, predicted in that famous Stanford commencement address of his in 1998, when this poll was actually, and interestingly enough, first posed. The rage in 1998 that he was speaking about was that values in our public leaders didn't matter so long as the public leaders kept the economy humming along. Think about President Clinton's foibles. They were unimportant because the economy was doing well, we were told. And Ted Koppel said, we are attaching our values and morals to an economic success in a message that can only mean values and morals are dependent on our economic condition. And the more money we make, the less important our commitment to other important things will be. Consider where that leads, he said. Well, it's led here. In any event, the social regression we are witnessing now shows that The more advanced we become in science, medicine, and technology, the more wealthy we become, the more social regression we have borne witness to, rotting out the core that contributed to those advances, those very advances we say we want in the first place. The nation we live in today is, with all those advances, including we should add in civil rights, more vulgar and more violent, more cynical and more coarse, more rude and more depressed. Children are losing their innocence. Marriage and the family are weaker and more unstable and less and less the norm. It is self-delusion and self-defeating to pretend or argue that these things do not matter. They do. And perhaps more than anything we can or should be discussing. I suppose if you spend a generation or more teaching children that this country is a blight upon the earth rather than the beacon of hope we used to think it to be, that will take hold and create a consistent blurring of the moral defense of it. You can't graduate six million high school and college students year in and year out for 30 years having steeped them in socialism and expect much different, can you? C.S. Lewis put it this way, for every one pupil who needs to be guarded from a weak excess of sensibility, there are three who need to be awakened from the slumber of cold vulgarity. Then, in his Abolition of Man, a hell of a title that, and don't forget the book's subtitle, Reflections on Education, it is in this book that he writes, by the way, of how propaganda takes hold here. 
He writes, quote, the right defense against false sentiments is to inculcate just sentiments. By starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey for the propagandist when he comes. For famished nature will be avenged, and a hard heart is no infallible protection against a soft head, he writes. Now, who is inculcating the just sentiments, we might ask? Teachers who believe their students are theirs and not their parents? Who believe they should be able to nurture a change of nature in children and keep that nurturing from the parents? Teachers who are brought to their graduate degrees and professional educations and certifications after going through coursework where they are trained in the BLM curriculum, making BLM bracelets and reading about how education is supposed to be aimed along seeing pupils as oppressed and in need of Marxist enlightenment as we effort the disruption of the Western notion of the family. We've been on that tear for over 30 years now. I suppose if you spend four years or more claiming that American president, that the American president is a fascist, something we spent the entirety of World War II fighting, as the enemy, I suppose if you spend two years broadcasting to fellow citizens in the world that we are a sick country, I suppose if you spend two years forcing people to wear face diapers in order to become walking billboards of panic and ill health while aping the dystopian novels and short stories of Kurt Vonnegut and George Orwell to cover up and conceal individual and communal uniqueness and wellness, and I suppose if you do this all the while claiming we are a systematically retrograde country while implanting curricula that aims to disrupt the notion of family, you can fracture a country pretty damned quickly. At the same time, lecture then mandate that two of our most natural and civic and civilizing institutions are not important, work and school. Then argue for the importance of isolation from fellow citizens, friends, and family members. See where that gets you. Maybe it gets you where we are today in the Wall Street Journal. But we're not done yet, are we? Make our country's founding date not 1776 and freedom and equality, but some unheard of date some 160 years earlier to make it about slavery and immiseration and see how much patriotism and attachment to that country you can muster. Who would want to fight or support that kind of place? Maybe that was the goal in the first place. The founder of that project had her dad, after all, a veteran of Vietnam, take down their American flag in their front yard that he thought was appropriate to fly because she didn't. And so we end up as the most technologically advanced, wealthiest country, not only in the world and in our country's existence, but we blithely preside over declining education scores at the same time, declining life expectancy at the same time, and higher drug abuse and drug poisoning deaths than at any other time in our history. You melt the glue and adhesives to society. You can't then feign surprise, the surprise being the dystopias of Orwell's 1984 or Kurt Vonnegut's Harrison Bergeron becoming the fact and the reality here. And because the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity, another dystopia becomes reality. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world.
I do understand how all this will ring like a Boy Scouts meeting of yesteryear to a lot of ears not trained in hearing these things. That's what 30 years or more of faith and country-based destruction will yield, an untrained ear, a falcon perhaps, that cannot understand the falconer. The saddest thing to me is that almost all of this has resulted not from the acts of a strong, leviathan, all-pervasive government. That brings its own set of problems. But really, this is much more the result of the failure from a listless public to cherish, nurture, and make use of the freedom and strength that was and is its birthright. I've quoted some C.S. Lewis above. He was consumed, Lewis was, with how the devil would reach out to and try to and convert us. So too was Paul Harvey, and I close with his famous opening to his speech, If I Were the Devil. We didn't heed Lewis or Harvey. Maybe we can start heeding this stuff now. It's not imaginatory. If I were the devil, I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States, is the first line. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of the serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized, and I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves and churches at war with themselves. And on and on, Harvey would go, and as I say, here we are. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Listener Dan writes, Seth, I know it may be too soon, but if the shooting this morning was a male former graduate of that Christian school or any Christian school who shot up a transgender gathering place, the media would be all over it, assigning hatred to all Christians or Republicans. It's not too soon because you know damn well that's exactly what would have been the case and um, it'll be my prediction that there will be less attention focused on this story, uh, given given the factors at play here, than it would normally other stories. But it's not that the other way or this way would be right, as Daniel, I think, imparts in this message to us. It's that when we assign the simple and collective responsibility uh, attributes of guilt, we err. There are a lot of factors and complications to these things, but it is still true, as Shakespeare put it in The Merchant of Venice, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? It would be nice if all people were treated as all victims should be treated, just as all criminals should be treated the same, the same. It won't happen, it doesn't happen, and it's another sad, discomforting, of our 
culture, discomfiting of our news and journalism community, discomfiting of our politics, and, of course, another force of decomposition we deal with. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Hi, Seth. Hope you had a great weekend. Thank you. I did. I hope you as well. Yeah, I did. My uh, youngest daughter, really, when you start feeling old, uh, she's turning 35. Who dear? You know you're old. (laughs) Yeah, my youngest daughter. Just becoming my age, yeah. Yeah, my age. Um, Anyway, uh, the shooter in Nashville is, as I understand it, a female uh, who identifies as a male, transgender, I guess. Uh, We don't know, uh, you know, whether she had been taking hormones or testosterone. We don't know whether... Or or other drugs, which is often the case in most mass shootings, yeah. That's right, and we don't know where she got the gun from. Uh, Two, I believe, were acquired illegally, as I saw the press conference, yeah. Well, imagine, and of course, gun control is going to solve all that. Right, two out of three were illegally acquired, right. Yeah, I think it's clear from what we've been reading and studying about the whole transgender movement that, number one, uh, it has an exceptionally high suicide rate, so I, I part of me wonders whether it was, this was a suicide by cop moment or if it's uh, just another example of mental illness, which I suspect is the case. Um, but I guess, again, like you're, you're saying, and I, I agree, that we're probably not going to see much more uh, of this in the news. Yeah, and that whole... Yeah, you're right. And that whole discussion about that part, certainly, the whole discussion around the transgender movement, mental illness, and suicide, it needs some subtlety. And the only person I've seen bring any to it is a guy at the Manhattan Institute, City Journal, named Leo Sapir. Leo Sapir. We've had him on the show. And... You know, this this issue of suicidality and suicide ideation and the community there is really misspoken about in 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 ways that are so unhealthy, primarily from the community that is within the group of ACLU types that is trying to promote these things. I'm going to say something more about it later. For sure. But you're right, Rob. We won't know if that had anything to do with this or not. We probably won't get the talk screen either. Um, Yeah. When we do, it's, I was going to say surprising, but really not surprising. Yeah. No. And and last, I think it was last week, uh, when you were talking about how, you know, work is supposed to help a person's self-esteem, one of the problems we have with that is that maybe we have so much young people or so many young people with self-esteem that yeah. hasn't really been earned. That's right. And and as a result, you know, you you can't really discuss rationally anything with them because their self-esteem is so high. No, that's right. That My truth is more important than the truth. Wrong. Yeah, no, I'd give them yeah. an ounce of the truth over 10 doses of self-esteem and their truth. That would that would start the beginning of the repair we need. Rob, uh, good good stuff you put on the table. I'll unwind some of it a little later, probably in the second hour. I appreciate it, Rob. Thank you. Those of you on hold, there's a few others. Bear with me. We'll get to you, I promise. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He's also the host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. His website, grandcanyonplanning.com, fun, and uh, also a great way to reach out to him. John, happy Monday to you. Welcome back to the, uh, 
I guess we're finishing the end of the first quarter already here. It's amazing, but it's it's over, yes. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> it's done. Oh, my gosh. Uh, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We're ending it with a bang, not a whimper. <laughs> Speaking of that bang, though, I was looking at the Wall Street Journal uh, website. Mm-hmm. And they have a new set of tabs. I don't know if you've seen it today, but they have this banking turmoil thing with timeline of events and failed oversight and First Republic and SVP and Credit mm-hmm. Suisse and UBS and Switzerland. I almost wonder if uh, if they're making um, making more of it than it is. I don't know. What's your sense of it? Are they are they hyping hysteria or are they responding to the uh, the correct reaction to some of this stuff? Well, I think there's been a number of things that have been done to make things, uh, I guess, a less stressful okay. for the average person out there. First Citizens Bank, again, came yeah. in and uh, over the weekend and had an arrangement to purchase a portion of uh, the failed bank of uh, Silicon Valley. Right. And um, so that is going to help those depositors. The bank, 17 branches that SVB had are going to be open today, as of today, under First Citizens Bank and Trust. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, there, we're hearing rumors about uh, how maybe SBV was not or SBB was not uh, regulated properly. Yeah. They didn't follow yeah. protocol, yeah. Uh, which all banks are, you know, required to do under the Dodd-Frank. Uh, and uh, it hasn't happened. So why didn't it happen and why weren't the regulators there to oversee what needed to be done? Well, this article that you mentioned, of course, talks a little bit about maybe why they weren't necessarily putting that on the, the front San of the San Francisco burner. Fed may have had some other issues yeah, I uh, mean, prioritized. Huh? California yeah. in general, as yeah. we know, um, many of the politicians there are more concerned about outside you know, issues rather than uh, the, the issue at hand. Yeah, the thing they're tasked with, right? Yeah, yeah. which it, exactly. It's like if you're hired to do a specific job, um, you know, priority one is you want to make sure that those banks are, are, are safe. Yeah. And that quarterly stress tests, quarterly stress right? Tests. Yeah, right. and and apparently, you know, there was uh, it was said that there wasn't even a compliance officer yeah. at the bank. Yeah. Right. Um, so there are a lot of things that uh, you know. If I go back even to things such as Bernie Madoff, as yeah. we all know that right. name way back when. Yeah. I mean, he was whining and dining with all of the politicians yeah. Yeah. and uh, the SEC, you know, people, and and it was amazing um, how laxed people got. In but plain yet, sight. Yeah. In plain sight. Yeah, hiding in plain sight. Yeah. It's interesting, though. A lot of the smaller industries and companies and things like that, they have more scrutiny right. than a lot of the bigger right. uh, institutions in, in a lot of areas, not just in the banking industry and finance and such. Uh, and it, the regulatory environment is so so difficult for smaller companies oftentimes that it forces them, in many cases, out of business. Uh, but these bigger uh, institutions uh, somehow seem to find a way to always uh, come out on top somehow. And uh, unfortunately, um, in this case, uh, you know, the, the federal government had to come in and step in and, and rescue them. Yeah. Uh, and we don't want to see that. You know, we, these companies should be able to stand on their own and fail on their own right. if that's the case. But I will say that a lot of this does fall on the the regulatory, I think uh, so. you know, process and the people who are in charge of that. They should have been there and should have seen this happening. Uh, 
prior to uh, what unfortunately did happen, which was the uh, closure of the bank. I think it's a problem throughout government. Uh, Oh, yes. You know, just missing its constitutional duty, small c. I mean, the Mm -hmm. thing it was constituted to do and getting involved in things it had no business or mandate to do. And so the essentials uh, fall fall by the side and we're left holding the... uh, we're left holding the bag. I guess tomorrow we had a big poll in the Wall Street Journal today also on American attitudes towards some some of our cultural things like patriotism and faith. But I guess tomorrow we'll also get a sense of uh, consumer confidence mm-hmm. and uh, we'll get uh, we'll get that uh, that memo tomorrow on where we are with uh, whether we're worsening or, or whether we're coming into a more confident uh, moment on the economy. I have a feeling it's not going to be much more confident. Right. And I mean, these these scenarios and situations are certainly concerning, but I yeah. would just remind people out there this is not 2008. That's correct. And, That's correct. Um, you know, talk with your advisor closely on this. You know, it's emotional, but. You know, talk to your advisors there about are, this. There, there's water that can go around these rocks. You're yeah. the water. Yeah, and, yeah. and you can reach out to us. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thank Perfect. you, Seth. Thank you, John. Yep. I am Seth. Yeah, you got to do it. Securities and yeah. advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, member of Penrith, Sipkin, and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Thank you. There you go, John. <laughs> All right. We'll Bye. talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Bye-bye. brother. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Tony's in Tempe. Hello, Tony. Oh, hello, Seth. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to comment regarding your monologue and regarding every monologue that you give. And you have such a gift for portraying the truth. It's just amazing. And uh, lining up the facts, and I am so grateful, and I'm sure many, many of us out here are just so grateful and so comforted by the work that you do. Anyway, thank you. Also, I wanted to say that uh, the Bible prophecies uh, prophecies about the last days. If uh, people, and I know you're familiar with this, but if people would read Matthew 24, it gives a description of the end times, and it just briefly it says it's going to be sudden. Uh, it's going to be. Um, uh, technology basically allows it. It's the frequency, the intensity, not only of the moral decay, but earthquakes, other weather phenomena. Everything that we're seeing is just amazing how it lines up. And I know people have been prophesying this and saying it's going to be such and such a date, and we don't know, you know, about the date. But uh, if you are a Christian and you knew, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior who came to save sinners, we don't need to be too upset. And I'm thinking of Brandon Weikert. Yeah. He's kind of a young guy. Yeah. And on Monday, I don't know what his persuasion is, but he... He, he really considers does. himself evangelical for what it's worth. I've just heard him say it a few times here and there. Okay, because yeah. on Monday, or last time he was on, he just said, we're done. Now, things <laughs> are so horrific, remember? Yeah. And then you finish out the segment and you say, well, we can always turn it around with good leadership, which is true. And we could see that, and I suppose we should all be praying for that, but I don't know. It just seems like we're way too far. Well, there is so much. There's only so much spitting in the face of common sense and cohesion that any Uh culture can handle, right, Tony? There's only so much. And the question is, do we rescue ourselves after we hit the pits and dig out of it and rise like a phoenix, or do we just continue to sink ever further And that's why I think the leadership part is so important, because 
you know, we've been in plenty of dark places throughout our history, uh, even as just Americans in our young history, and we've been able to dig out. But, you know, the things we've dug out with are the kinds of things we have now put at risk and at stake. We have dug out with things like belief in country, things like belief in family, things like sanctity of faith. And these are the things... These are the uh, these are the navigational beacons we have plowed down, which makes the task so much more hard and, I guess, worrisome, right? Yeah. 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 And to-, to Tocqueville, I know everyone has heard this, said how beautiful, and he was not uh, religious in any way, I don't think, but he came to America, and he just loved it, and he loved the people. He says the Americans are absolutely beautiful, their form of government. He says, uh, but... Uh, America will go down if Americans go down. And it's so true, and we're in that situation now. And like you say, how are we going to, barring a major supernatural revival, I don't know, how can that be? Well, maybe a revival's not a bad thing, you know? Maybe the notion of a revival isn't a bad thing. You know, I I saw my old boss uh, after Uvalde, my old boss, Bill Benna, they were talking about, you know, you're the secretary, former secretary of education. What do some of these places need? You know what he said? What? An exorcism. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 You look at some of these, you know, monsters that we're breeding in our society. Yeah. Anyway, Tony, it's um, it's it's depressing, um, but we can't stay depressed for long. We can we can wallow in it or we can do something about it, right? We're the can-do people here. Absolutely. And you know what, Seth? We can all work on ourselves. You betcha. You betcha. Right? That's the only thing we have control. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's okay. exactly right. Be a sermon. Don't preach a sermon. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. Hi there. Wonderful last call, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Just great. Um, and I was also um, calling about your monologue. I was all um, excited to disagree with you because <laughs> you were talking the big picture in society, and huh. right at the tail end, yeah. you started talking about the personal, yeah. uh, you know, responsibility and, and uh, you know being lethargic and that kind of thing. Because I look at that and there's uh, thinking there's nothing to be depressed about. Uh, we just need to study history and quit being so self-absorbed. Throughout history, there's cycles of uh, tremendous uplift of human society and spirituality and, and tremendous decay and decline. And it all has very symptomatic and predictable things that occur that, that causes it. And what we act is, in, in, uh, so I would like to support the last part of your monologue, and, and we have to look, and I would like to add one more thing to what the last lady said, sure. too, is we shouldn't just work on ourselves. Okay. That's been our problem. We need to work on ourselves, yes, but we can work on our kids. Yeah. If the first time they hear about sex is in school or in a negative way, that's our problem mm-hmm. because their first impression will be in a very mm-hmm. animalistic way. Yeah. And or if the first time they hear about patriotism is through the liberals' mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. or if the first time they hear about economics is through the liberal or the society, that is our fault. And ninety uh, percent of the parents and friends that I know are very good, uh, loving people, 
but they're lousy at teaching. Now, they let me let me agree with them. you in part and dissent in part. Like this is the Supreme Court. Oh, I for, love that. Okay, <laughs> let me agree in part and dissent. That's the fun part. part. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The, and it's not really a disagreement so much as it is a warning. And I think when it comes to, for example, the sex education part, Doug, uh, of course. The child should hear it first from the parents. But isn't this what the race is about at schools, to get it in so early at the five-year-old and six-year-old level before parents are able to or thinking it's age-appropriate to I, do? This is I, the real challenge, yeah, right? Yeah. They're always no. – the culture is forcing the envelope here. But you can teach sex education without it being sex. You can talk about sure. man and sure. woman. Sure. And then the next thing – one of the things – I. So many conservative people have four or five kids, and then uh, four or five kids, and two or three of them are liberal. Yeah. And it's because they didn't condition them. Yeah, no, of course. My kids knew no more about the foundation of this country and the philosophy. I wasn't reading apples. Mm-hmm. I was reading uh, the Bible, and I was reading uh, the founding of our nation. And I was, and and there's spiritual reasons you know, to do things. And every spiritual reason has good secular reasons that back it up. And and you can sell it. By the time my kids got into school, I was predicting what their teachers were saying. They're lovely people. You always give respect to them, but not because they're teachers. You give respect to them, not because they're an adult, but because they are human beings and childs of God. And everyone deserves that. Be suspicious of them and because 80% of them are state union workers and and i you tell them what state union workers tend to think about and half the time they come home and say dad did you take this course no (laughs) hold that thought doug i gotta take a break i'll let you finish on the other side remember what ronald reagan said in his farewell address lesson number one america all great change in america begins at the dinner table be right back Folks, how you think the Biden economy is handling your finances? We've got banks failing, stock market volatility, a possible recession on the horizon. But what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not tied to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. The interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25%. Check out my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. You can visit with them. I know them well. You won't get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. Trustworthy and honest group of folks. A due diligence approved firm. Y-Refi, as I mentioned, can get you a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI34. Doug, thanks for staying with me, brother. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I just think we have to, we need to begin to realize is that every minute of our day and every minute in in our relationships is a chance to teach and teaching doesn't have to look like a lecture it can be you know but you know I'm I'm going to say this and everybody's probably going to disagree with me but I was uh, raised uh, learning how to train uh, black labs and with horses I grew up with animals 
And one of the things, and animals are mostly instinctual, and uh, but you still need most people are are very they're they may love their animal, but they don't train their animal. They like the concept of just living with them. And uh, so they're, or as my horse, the person that taught me how to train horses, they're good equine uh, people about 93% of the time, which is why they all have absolutely lousy habits and are bad horses. Right. So, um, not doing a favor to the horse of the lab, by the way. No, 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 because they want training. The interesting thing they want to follow a lead dog, they want training. Yeah. Yes, and so do people. Yep. And here's the interesting thing you will actually do less education and discipline if they're trained of course because you're not always fighting the animal and this happened all the time everybody kept saying oh gosh your kids are just so good you are so lucky and i said after i am lucky after about 14 years of hard work of building that relationship and with in all that relationship being education and all that education is based off of spirituality and traditional values because out of that, I had to discipline very little. But most people, they, they always they are spend reacting. the rest of their they lives doing it. Yeah. It's pretty simple yeah. to me. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. We used to think that way. True for animals, too. God bless you, Doug. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.